Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. back dave for episode 57 of plastic model mojo man the number just keeps on climbing i know i know uh, gotta gotta find some way to top uh 56 with a dr strange brush that was a great one man yeah that was good and i think there's going to be a little more regularity and formality to those going forward so uh we're kind of ushering in a new era with uh dr miller and see what we can't make of that well, that's great with me because, man, every every time we record with him, I'm sitting there finding myself making notes. Yeah, me too, and surfing the net for where yeah, to go buy yes. what he's talking about if he doesn't happen to have it himself. Yep, uh, that is that is a, a, a downside is I always end up spending a little money after Dr. Miller visits. So what's going on in the Dave's model sphere this this last couple of weeks? Well, um, you know, uh, I've got my mojo back. Uh, uh, the bench is moving, but uh, the I'm getting other model related stuff. I'm I'm actually getting to do some uh, non bench time model related things. I get got our club newsletter back on track. Uh, speaking of which, I have to get an I have to get an issue out this week, and then. Uh, I'm starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel on some of these current projects. And so now I'm starting to think about future projects. And I know I'm not the only one who's been doing that. What's your model sphere been looking like? Oh, dealing with the eBay deals gone south and the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> you know, such as I assume the eBay deal. I know what you're talking about because we talk, but uh, the eBay deal didn't cost you anything but time, right? Right. So for the listeners, I, I talked about buying that dental vacuform machine and, and oh, it was probably two or three episodes ago now. Well, uh, when that deal was going down, he said, well, I've got these as well. And he sent me some pictures of a couple other devices he had. And I'm like, no, I'm good with the one I've got. I've, I've actually bought. Well, he ends up sending me one of the ones he showed me in the photograph. And I'm like, no, I want the one you've got because it's still made. I can still get parts for it here in the United States. He's like, okay, start a refund process, return process on eBay. And I'll, when it shows back up, I'll send out the one you bought. So I did that and I got the pre-printed label and boxed it all up, sent it back. Well, instead of sending it back, well, instead of sending me the one I bought, he issues a refund. <laughs> Which I don't know. Probably means he sent the other one to somebody else, and now it's gone, and they they they're happy with it because maybe maybe so. But whatever. You, but luck, here, here, luckily, you can still get one. This is nothing but costing you some time. And no, and I don't need it yet, or I don't need it ever, probably. But I didn't have a specific use for it. No current project was uh, waiting on this, so uh, it was just another tool for the tool shop I've always wanted. So I guess I'll keep shopping. Um, yeah, and he has never responded to my eBay message asking why he did that. So a caveat here, you know, you got the whole feedback rating system on on eBay. And I was so hot when I, that I found this one that I tried to buy that 
I probably took a little chance. Yeah. So the guy's feedback was floating around 95%. Yeah. Which sounds great, but uh, typically I don't, I, typically I don't go there. The rating s- system in eBay is really 95 to 99 or 95 to 100. Numbers below that, you just don't see. Well, just think about it this way. If you have 95% positive feedback, that still means you gaff one in 20 transactions. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's not a good record for boxing something up and sending it to somebody because yeah. it ain't that hard. Well, you get the occasion, occasional bad buyer, but uh, uh, yeah, no, you you shouldn't have one in 20. So I, I usually, especially my military collecting, when I start seeing like 98, 98 point something, that's yeah. that's when the flag starts going up on eBay for me. But I digress. The other issue I've had is, uh, you know, back to Dr. Miller, I ordered some of the uh, uh, Mr. Hobby decal setting solutions uh-huh. and some black primer in a rattle can and some really fine uh, brass wire from Albion Alloys, all from mm-hmm. Burbank House of Hobbies out in, in, in Burbank, California. And it's one of those deals where it, it they ship it really quick. I've never had a problem with Burbank House of Hobbies. They got a good shop out there. Uh, so it's not on them. Uh, they sent it out the like within 24 hours of me ordering it, right? Yeah. It makes it all the way across the country, comes through Louisville, comes to Lexington, bounces down the, the, uh, you know, the, the hierarchy of the Lexington post offices to get to our local branch. Yep. And then it goes back to Louisville. <laughs> uh, the U S postal system. What the hell, man? Pro- proving that, uh, that the federal government can get you your mail eventually. So I guess I'll see that primer maybe Monday and next <laughs> week. God, I don't know. So that's my model sphere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, could be, again, could be worse. You didn't lose any money. You're just I did not lose a money. Time and none of the stuff that you're under pressure for. So I guess you got to find the humor in this. You do. You do. Uh, you know, again, we're happy warriors. So uh, <laughs> what's your, what's your modeling fluid tonight, Mike? I am drinking uh, something new. Jefferson's Reserve, very old, very small batch, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Mm-hmm. I'm liking it. And uh, right. we'll, we'll catch up at the end. But well, This is your first time with it, right? Yeah, on the show, yes. I've had a little bit of this before today. But uh, first time on Plastic Model Mojo with Jefferson's Reserve of any, of any mark. But this one's uh, kind of a good one. Well, good. Well, good. What you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm I've got an old one. Uh, I've got a beer with a story behind it. Am I in the story? Uh, I don't know if you were there. You might have been there because <laughs> I'll start telling the story and you'll remember. Okay, the my my modeling fluid of choice tonight is Moosehead Lager, a fine beer out of Canada, <laughs> and. As listeners may remember, generally, I didn't start drinking beer until 
the mid-90s because, frankly, I didn't like American mass market beer. It didn't taste good to me. So, And he hadn't met me yet. Well, right. And, and <laughs> the craft beer revolution hadn't come along. And so, uh, yeah, that, you that know, too. When, when I actually got to taste beers that I liked. But the first indication to me that I might like some beers was in the mid-90s, the Louisville IPMS held a regional two-day regional convention. And this was back when Fort Knox still had the giant armor collection before it got all moved to Benning in, in Georgia. Something else you don't know is that there are a lot of really good Canadian armor modelers, just tons of really good ones. And uh, uh, our convention was held like the second week of April in the mid-90s. And so we hold this convention and a bunch of Canadians, and I mean like six or seven guys in one car, drove down from, I guess, probably the Toronto area, somewhere around in there, and came to the show. And it was kind of funny when they arrived, because it's April in Louisville, it's in the mid-40s, and we're all, you know, wearing jackets and jeans and, you know, dressed dressed appropriately. Well, these guys arrive, and they pour out of the car. And do you remember jam shorts? Yes. They pour out of the car wearing jam shorts and Hawaiian style shirt, short sleeve shirts. Like they have <laughs> arrived in midsummer and they, they thought the weather was, was unseasonably warm. It probably was for them. <laughs> probably. It wasn't well, Hawaiian te- shirt warm. <laughs> You're right. Well, I tell that whole story because one of the traditions that the Canadians used to have and they did it at the nationals and some regional shows, is when they'd come down, they'd load up their trunk with beer, and they would host something called the Royal Canadian Beer Blast. And so these guys, in their hotel room after the show, so these guys brought down a bunch of Canadian beer, and after the show closed for the for the evening, had basically opened their hotel room to whoever wanted to come by and drink beer and should talk modeling. And there were, I swear, 40, 45 guys in this hotel room because free beer. Although I think we all did chip in a little. And that's the first place I ever had a moose head and really, really liked it. Now, the problem was then moose head wasn't really commonly available down here in Louisville. So unfortunately I could it was a struggle to find it. So until craft beers I really did not start drinking beer. But one of the one of the things that got me down the path was our friends the Canadians and Moosehead Canadian Lager. So this one's for you guys. All right. We can wrap that one up at the end and see if you still like it. Oh yeah. Well Dave, I don't know if it's Doctor Strange Rush or not. Because not a lot of this email is about that last episode. It's all over the map. That'll probably hit next time. I, there's, sometimes there's a, a one episode delay. We got a big pile of listener mail. Good. Good news. I'm like, this just becoming my favorite segment, I think. <laughs> well, of course it is. It's the Again, it's the interaction with other modelers. 
It is. Well, let's get into this because we're going to have to take some time to get through this because they've all got a little discussion point or two. Okay. First up, Kyle Hilliam from uh, Nelson, New Zealand. Oh, good. Now, that's on the north side of the South Island. Well, your wife's been there, right? Yes. Well, she was on the North Island, but yes, she did. She took a little adventure down there a few years back and had a great time. Well, I tell you, this one is interesting. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit and just get to the meat of uh, what Kyle is saying here. But uh, he thinks it's a good idea to uh, for your upfront work on a modeling project, especially if you're you're building uh, like a modern jet like we talked about last time uh-huh. or a ship. Yep. Uh, to do all the small stuff, the ordnance, the uh, the lifeboats, etc. First, before you get into the meat of the project, because by the time you get done with the meat of the project, like you said last time, you might be done. Yes. <laughs> so he's saying, build all the bombs and missiles and ordnance and drop tanks and or the uh, you know all the lifeboats and and rescue launches and stuff up front in your project that way you kind of chopping at the bit to get to the, the, to the bigger part of it. And by when you get to the bigger part of it and get that done, you can just pop all that stuff on and you, cause you're already done with it. He's got a point that I can see how that might work for, for you because yeah, a lot of times when you build the normal way, by the time you finish the, the, the model and put it up on its wheels, and you're, you know, painted, decaled, weathered, etc. You know, a lot of time all, you're wanting to move on to something else, especially if you're not the world's fastest builder, guilty as charged. So I can see that as a as a uh, as an alternative. Uh, I t- I kind of like my alternative, which is when I've got a little time to model, but not enough time to accomplish the next step on any open project is to take these ordnance kits and build those things and then store them in uh, Ziploc bags and drawers so that when I do finish a model, I can reach into one of those drawers, get that ordnance and hang it without slowing the project down or, 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 you know, uh, killing my motivation to move on to the next project quickly. Yeah. Our friends over at the model gigs build a lot of, a lot of jets. I wonder what they do. That's a good question. I would love to, if any of you guys are listening, we'd love to hear from you. Do any of you build either, either the ordinance first or, or do you build ordinance and store it away later for use on your models? Or are you so enthralled with the, your subject matter that you don't never get burned out at the end? That's possible. It's possible. All right. Well, let's move on, Dave. Okay. Michael Karnaka from Queens, New York. This is a really interesting one here. He had a long session of assembly that resulted in him being bent over like a shrimp the whole time and uh, <laughs> got, got a lot of pain in his lower back to prove it. And he was wondering if anyone out there in the, in the Mojoverse, as he calls it, I like that, mm-hmm. the Mojoverse. I like Mojovia too. Yes. But, uh, again, I digress. Does anyone build standing up? You know, they got those, those standing computer desks that are adjustable. And uh, he wondered if that might be a practical solution for uh, his problem. Now, you know, at work, at my new job, we've got uh, standing height desks and uh, tall adjustable chairs. So I tell you, usually the first 45 minutes of, of work in the morning, 
after I do my sweep through the lab and clear the printers off and get those things in the cure tanks and rinse tanks and stuff. Um, I'll usually stand for a while cause I've been laying in bed all night and sitting down at breakfast. And, uh, an, another, another detail I could share is, uh, not yet in this current location, but in, in my old house, uh, I had like 12 feet of standing height bench, bench space. And my, my air booth, my spray booth was also at standing height. I kind of like to stand up sometimes and, I tell you, you can, you can get hunched over and lose track of time and either your neck or your back, especially when you're not 20 something anymore. (laughs) What do you think, Dave? You've seen my model room. I have 13 feet of standing bench, although I've got high, high high chairs so that I can sit and and work at that bench. I, I will tell you, I quite often airbrushing, I, I don't ever sit when I airbrush. I always stand when I airbrush. As far as building, yeah, sometimes I stand, sometimes I sit, sometimes I alternate between the two. The one thing I would mention is if you're going to stand for long periods of time, if you're, you know, a lot of our model rooms might have concrete floors or, or you know, hard surface linoleum, whatever, Standing on a surface like that for a long time can also lead to lower back pain and all. So, uh, you know, they make those interlockable foam mats. I used to have in my old model room, in my old house, I had all those interlockable foam mats on the floor for that very reason. I could, uh, you know, stand on them. Uh, model standing at my desk or my bench and and it, it kept my back from hurting but yeah i i model standing probably 40 percent of the time i don't right now because i don't have much op- of an option but uh and the work you're, work you're doing right now is probably well, true uh once i get this place remodeled like i want i'll have some standing space so and my airbrush booth will be up that high again stand up mike Yep, absolutely. And try and and try it. I think your back will will uh will appreciate it. And find yourself a really good chiropractor. Uh if your club has one, like ours does, our club founder and vice president, Dr. Terry Hill, uh, you know, you you get sore from a modeling session, go in, get adjusted. You've been listening to geriatric skill modeling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, you have. From the Southern Maryland Scale Modelers, Timothy Holland. And he, we met Tim at uh, at Las Vegas last summer. Yes. Uh, apparently, Gator's Grip is no longer available, Dave, and we talk about it a lot. So this is this is good, a good email. It no longer because they a couple of years ago, they had come out with a second version, a, a more viscous, uh, uh, more liquidy version. So well, you say that, but you know. Time kind of gets away from us, Dave. It, maybe it was. It might have been six years ago. Oh, was it? Oh, I don't God. know. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. <laughs> I mean, to go look. Yes, you're right. Thing, things that I hap- think happened a year or two ago, especially, I'm telling you, post-COVID. Post-children. Well, that too. But uh, the time dilation effect from 2020 to 2022, it's hard to figure out what happened when. So it's no, no longer available. That's what he's saying. I haven't, haven't, uh, haven't dug into it too much, but uh, assuming he's correct, mm-hmm. uh, he's got a couple of alternatives. 
MIG Ultra Glue, which he says is nearly identical to the Gator's Grip. So it's yep. kind of thick, I guess. Yes, it is. I've got some. Okay. And then AK's Wolverine PVA. I guess it figures if MIG makes a version of it, AK's got to have their product. But I didn't realize AK had 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 made a version of the white glue or PVA glue. To, to your point, he says the Wolverine's a bit thinner, like Gator's Grip Thin. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you need both. There are two uh, two alternatives to Gator's Grip's product line. If you can't find it, if it is indeed no longer being sold, that would be MIG Ultra Glue and AK's Wolverine PVA. Hmm. Thanks for the tip, Tim. Uh, yes, I appreciate the information. Tim Calhoun from Greensboro, North Carolina. All right. That's that's down towards your neck of the woods. It is. My uncle lives in Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh, does he actually. really? Yes, he does. My dad's older brother lives there. Oh, cool. Uh, his modeling fluid of choice is Mountain Dew. That that would that would ruin you, man. Yeah, they would. That the caffeine would just absolutely, you know, that that would destroy my ability to glue two parts together in any coherent fashion. But <laughs> you know, not everybody has what I've got, so I, I'm sure that that keeps him awake during his modeling sessions. Well, Tim Calhoun spent a lot of time working on F-16s and F-111 airframes. And he's a couple of years back into this uh, this hobby, mm-hmm. and he just thanks us for what we're doing. So, well, welcome well, back to the hobby, Tim. And well, uh, welcome back. Show us a show us a photo, man. That's right, Drew Savage from the IPMS Silver Wings chapter in Elk Grove, California. It's kind of near Sacramento. He says, "Yep." Uh, you know, he says sometimes do sometimes messages do get through. And uh, he noticed some moisture in the water trap of his airbrush compressor after some heavy usage. Yeah. And uh, voicing his said, thought, uh, maybe I should empty the tank. <laughs> and he did. And he got the quarter cup of sludgy, rusty water from the bottom yep. of the tank. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good tip there. Yep. Absolutely. To every... The silent air, they tell you to to uh, to drain it at least once a week. Now, I think that contemplates a heavier use than I give it. But I'll tell you, I probably do drain it once every two to three weeks. And it's amazing how much how much of that oil rust water thing builds up in there. Well, Drew also says he's going to see us in Omaha. Well, good. Good. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you guys in Omaha. We're getting out a lot. Yeah, I know. Another one close to home, Rich Long from Cookville, Tennessee. <laughs> oh, he's talking about time management. Mm. All right, the bane of The bane of my existence. You ready for this one? Yes. What has your experience been modeling with toddlers in the house? Oh. Do you have any listeners or do you have, or any listeners have any tips for modeling with kids in the house? Well, Rich, toddlers are like this. Imagine if your dog had opposable thumbs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I, I could, I could jokingly say my recommendation is Benadryl, but um, <laughs> that might not go over well. Yeah. That probably, that probably get me investigated. Um, <laughs> I have deep sympathy for you. I will admit when my when my two children were toddlers, uh, I got a lot less modeling done. Uh, 
just simply because of the amount of parental input required. Uh, you know, uh, you can't, you, you can't leave all of that burden to your wife. But uh, I will tell you that that's, I tend to model a lot late at night, even now. And I will bet you that that at least is partly because of the fact that I developed the habit because that was the time that I could get to model when the kids were down for the night. I think he's more worried about the, uh, them wandering around the rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot. That's the other thing. I was always very lucky to have a model room that I could completely secure. And therefore I didn't have to worry about the sludge of toxic chemicals and sharp instruments that populate anybody's model room. You know, if you don't have that, you a have to be very careful. B I recommend getting one of those woodworkers boxes and, and using that as your portable station that you can set up and then put away so that you can lock it and you know, it's secure. So you're not going to have a problem with a toddler getting into the super glue. I'm glad I'm past that. You and me both brother. (laughs) You and me. The the joy when kids become minimally self-sufficient around five or six years old, it is such a huge relief when, when your kids hit that age. Up next, Tim Cavalier from Moscow, Idaho. Now Tim's a, Often uh, send us some email and talking to him via email. Uh, he hmm. just had a modeling adventure to uh, Spokane, Washington. Oh, really? Is that a commutable distance from uh, Moscow, Idaho? Maybe it is. I would assume. Well, and if you're out west, commutable distance becomes a much longer distance than than uh, a lot of us think of. Yeah, maybe. He's he's at the hobby shop picking stuff up and carrying it around and realizing he's got a kid at home and putting it back, then picking it up again. And, you know, wondering what's going on. Yeah. That's just the way it is, Tim. That's right. (laughs) He made, he made it out safe. He only picked up an Atlantis P3 and some masking fluid and a package of micro brushes. So. And and that's not bad. If you go in, you 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 can always find a reasonable purchase in most hobby shops. So, but yeah, I think if you take a big road trip, you got to kind of broaden the spectrum there. Yeah, that that is true. That you you feel if if you've made a long distance trip or gone out of your way to to include uh, a stop by a hobby shop that you don't get too often. Yeah, if you walk out of there with not much, you actually do feel kind of kind of disappointed well he wants to give a shout out to b&b hobbies and and the hobby town in spokane so many kits he says good good all right well if you're in spokane check them out Ooh, and he's recently gifted a 750 milliliter bottle of woodford reserve distiller select Ooh, nice that's right that's right down the road man that's like 20 minutes from here yep and 60 bucks yeah that's a good that listen that's an enjoyable bourbon. Derek Post, Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, fond memories of Las Vegas, man. <laughs> he just wants to thank you. He just joined the IPMS National Organization, Dave, and he's got his hotel reservation made for Omaha. That music to my ears. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening to me. And when you get out there, we're going to be in the vendor room. 
come by and find us. Stop by and say hi. We'll, we'll, we had a great time in Vegas with all the listeners who stopped by for just a chat and a photograph. And, and it was great to hear of all of their experiences, especially the guys who were attending a national for the first time. I mean, that was one of the joys of uh, uh, talking to listeners out in Vegas is how many of them were first timers and, and your first nationals is really special. So I look forward to seeing you. Speaking of Las Vegas, uh, the next one is from my friend, Mike Idakavich from down in Atlanta area. We met him and had him by the table for a little convo there about his yep. uh, Atlanta chapter. Yeah. While we were uh, reminisced a little bit about old times, actually. He's keyed into our comments about, uh, you know, we had a listener mail last time asking about a good sturdy model stand. Yeah. Uh, he says, if you're, you know, if you're a little apprehensive about ordering one from overseas, they've got a club member down there in the Atlanta area. Uh, that sells these, you know, he makes them, uh, uh-huh. he's, got an, he's got an Etsy store. So Etsy.com and his store is, uh, truly loves us. T R U L Y L O V E U S. And, uh, Mike says he's got some really well-made and sturdy stands that you can order right here from the United States. Check them out. You know, what's funny about that. You've got the one. first, the first, no, but the first <laughs> modeling stand that I ever got I got at Model Master Hobbies, Oli Dubs store here in Louisville when I first got back into modeling in the 81 or 82. And one of the things that he sold in the shop was one of the other guys who, who, uh, who, who bought from the store, who was a modeler, used press board and, and foam rubber. Uh, he had built one for himself. It was an aircraft modeler and built one for himself and utilized it and basically then just sold it through Oli's to other people who, who wanted one. And I had that stand for years and used it uh, for years and years. So I'm glad to see somebody else doing that. You have to have to stop by that Etsy store and take a look. Well, we'll put the information in the show notes and on maybe on the Facebook page too, probably on the Facebook page too. Why not? Right. Yeah. Uh, and see, see what's up with that. Maybe that's another alternative. If somebody wants to stay stateside or support, you know, some, a modeler who's sticking his neck out in this country. Yep. Uh, next up is Ricardo Montez from Honduras and he's written in before, but, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he wants to tell us that during the Christmas holiday, he's changed his modeling frubs from the cube. Uh, he's changed his modeling fluid from the Cuba Libre. To a small cup of Ram Popo. A cup of what? <laughs> Ram Popo. Ram Popo. Uh, he says that's eggnog with liquor. I didn't know. I didn't know there was such thing as of, as eggnog without liquor. <laughs> liquor. Well, <laughs> okay. I drink eggnog without liquor, but my grandmother used to make a an eggnog that would knock you on your butt. Um. <laughs> But a, a rompopo? That's what he says. R O M P O P O. Rompopo. I did not know that. So we're getting educated. Yeah. By our listeners. Well, he sent in some photographs of uh, apparently uh, which airport down in Honduras. There's just started some international flights. And there's a ceremony. They fly the planes in. They've got the fire trucks spraying the right. water over the runway, right? Yeah. Um, 
says that'd be a pretty challenging diorama, but <laughs> he's given us an update on what he's got going on. So, uh, Ricardo, thank you much for, for listening in Honduras. My God, absolutely. Oh God, Dave. Uh oh. Oh, Jim Maddox. No, no geography. Uh huh. Hang on. I think it's from Wichita, Kansas, Dave, based on his area code. Okay. Because he came through the Facebook page, the email link there. So right. that's got a phone number. <laughs> I've not used photo etch parts before, and I'm building a kit that has a lot. I'm not sure what to do. I know to <laughs> use super glue, but beyond that, I'm intimidated by the tiny pieces all grouped together. <laughs> Suggestions on how do I get started in the key do's and don'ts? Oh, God, this this is a whole episode. Uh, first, first, may God have mercy on your soul. Um, uh, photo etch is a real love hate relationship. The my key recommendations would be number one: don't attach the photo etch with super glue. Attach it with either PVA glue or a dab of future or something to get the photo etch positioned where you want. And then once you've got it where you want it, then use a, a fine brush, a dis- fine disposable brush and of some very thin super glue to then secure it in place because photo etch is notoriously hard to get it exactly where you want it. And the ability to move it around a little bit before you lock it in place is something that you're going to really appreciate. Also have some debonder handy, because if you get it photo etch placed and then decide you don't like where it is, it can be removed as long as you do it delicately by flooding the area with debonder to loosen the, the grip of the super glue. So Mike, what, what would you tell a person who's about to go through a photo etch experience? I think, uh, if it's a lot of photo etch and you're uh, with my first one, I don't know if I do this or not, but I, I use my bending tool a lot for more, some more of the complex shapes. Right. I think small shops make that little one called the bug, right? Yes. Small shops. Uh, I don't know the web address offhand, but uh, they make one that's like maybe three inches square or smaller than that. That would be good for most, most parts. I think. Yeah. Something like that can help if it's got multiple bins or if you want to be, a little more precise. Uh, if not, make sure you have a good pair of flat jaw pliers that, that close true to each other. Um, you may have to spend some money to get a good pair. Yeah. A lot of the cheap hobby ones are, I don't know. They just, they're just not any good. Um, Oh, they don't. Right. They're not trued up. They don't actually meet their jaws. Don't actually meet. Uh, and when you're working with this stuff, scoot up to your workbench. So you're, chest is actually touching the workbench right because that at least takes like a 180 degree arc of projectile direction (laughs) out of the equation it's at least going to hit you right right and not fall on the floor after it hits you so scoot up buck up and uh just dive in and give it a try but uh you know back to what dave said about super glue um if you get in the wrong place that super glue is going to dry instantly like it's supposed to if you got it in the wrong place, uh, that's the wrong place. If you get in the right place, it's never going to dry. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's some truth to that. <laughs> that one other thing I'd recommend, take a look 
if it is photo etch where they are having you replace a plastic part with a photo etch part, think long and hard about whether or not you want to do that. Because many times, especially more so with aftermarket photo etch rather than photo etch that comes with a kit, but even sometimes photo etch that comes with the kit, they're having you not use or cut off a plastic part to replace it with a photo etch part. And to be honest with you, on many occasions, it's not enough of an improvement to go through the hassle of doing it. So think about it and don't be afraid to utilize the plastic alternative if there is one. Yep. I can't emphasize that enough, Dave. Do you even need to use it? Mm-hmm. Is it better? Right. Sometimes it is. Often it is not. Right. Ask yourself that question with each each one. Particularly with like uh, bracketry and like 3D structure, you know, mesh screens and stuff like that. That's kind of a no brainer. You know, that's usually going right. to be better in photo etch, but uh, some of that stuff's just not. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. And, and, you know, a lot of time with photo etch, they're trying to replicate a 3D item using 2D, 2D photo etch. And, and the result is not any more convincing. So, you know, again, Use photo etch selectively. And, you know, we always talk about what's your plan for getting better. If you want to add this to your toolbox and, and use this kind of stuff more often, then you're just going to have to dive in and, and start and do it. And you're going to get the results you're going to get as a first timer. And yep. maybe that that's all right. It is. Absolutely. We all start at the same place. Next up, Brian Dinklow from Lawrence Harbor, New Jersey. Now, we talked to Brian quite a bit on the back channels on the Facebook page, but uh, Brian's one of the hosts at the uh, Modeling Sideways podcast. And if you hadn't checked that one out, you should check that one out. Something else to listen to. Uh, he finally got in with the model podcast, our, our link, our consortium there. So uh, got in on that. And I think that's really going to help their numbers because, uh, you know, you got this entire population we've put together. Going to going to start checking out this other one. Absolutely. Absolutely. The more, the merrier. More, the merrier. Good plan, Brian. Uh, you know, he sends a lot of information. Well, Brian also says he's looking forward to uh, hearing about our respective builds, plural, in the coming year. So That's right, man. He's He's got a lot going on. He's got a lot of builds here. He sent some photos in. We'll try to get those up. And uh, modeling sideways. Check them out. Those guys have got a wide, a wide interest. I mean, they, Brian especially models a lot of stuff, so. Uh, check it out. And last for me tonight is another Tim. It's the third Tim tonight. It's a try Tim. Tim Holland from Southern Maryland down by the, the model geeks. Again, he's on your 72nd scale aircraft forum as uh, yep. his handles, his handles green shirt. I know him. All right. And I understand the green shirt reference. He must've been a deck guy on an aircraft carrier. Exactly. Ah, oh, did I get that right? Yeah. Well, this is for you. He's been using his silhouette cameo for a while to cut mass and stuff and some thin styrene. So there you go, Dave. I am anxious to, uh, I'm, I'm still researching. I mean, I've decided what I want. Uh, now I've, uh, I'm watching YouTube videos and, and trying to, to pre-build a little bit of skill level on it. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely going to be my, my, 
purchase here quite shortly. Well, Tim Holland is a big acrylic paint guy, and uh, he certainly says he rewound the tape a dozen times listening to Dr. Strangebrush last time because, uh, you know, he's got three very nice double-action airbrushes and a bunch of acrylic paint, and he gets the same result from all of them, which is not very satisfactory, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. So he's looking forward to trying this Liquitex stuff that John always recommends. And I've got some. And, and uh, it, it works. It does. It does. Man. And you get a lot for your money, you. I think. Yep. Probably the big advantage. Yep. And and I've got one. Uh, we had a listener, uh, uh, Mark Copeland, out of out of Minnesota, was for some reason in Louisville, and he had heard us talk about Scale Reproductions, a local hobby shop here, and so he stopped by and uh, went to the shop. Who was unfortunately we didn't know he was coming, but uh, he got he talked to Brian and uh, left a nice note for us to let us know that uh, uh, he'd heard us on the podcast and heard us mention Brian's, and that's why he went in. So, uh, Mark, if this is a regular or semi-regular thing, let us know next time you're coming into town and going to hit the hobby shop. We'll try and uh, we'll try and show up, shoot the breeze. That's right. Grab a beer. Well, hopefully he spent a bunch of money there. I'm hoping I'm hoping he did too, because Brian's not a half bad human being, whatever we say about That's him. That's right. Well, this is the time in the podcast where I ask you to, when you're done listening, please rate the podcast, rate it five stars if you would, on whatever podcast app you listen to us. Uh, also, if you know a fellow modeler who's not listening, We'd appreciate you recommending us to them, and you might even need to show them what a podcast is and what a podcast app is and how to download our episodes. If you do that, we appreciate it. Believe it or not, uh, the podcast continues to grow two years into this thing, and we think that one of the big ways we're getting it to grow is people are recommending it to their friends. Uh, lastly, if you don't subscribe in whatever podcast app you use, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, that also helps make us more visible to more people. And listen to the other podcasts out there. There's quite a bit now, especially if we add uh, Modeling Sideways to the mix. You can go to modelpodcasts.com. That's modelpodcast, one word, plural, dot com. And uh, you get uh, you know straight links to all the podcasts and uh, Brian and his Modeling Sideways gang have just joined that consortium. So welcome aboard. And I hope your numbers grow and you get a lot more exposure. Uh, in addition to our podcast friends, we got a lot of blog and YouTube friends out there too, Dave. Uh, Stephen Lee, Sprue Pie with Frets, has got a, a nice blog. You can get a lot of interesting content there, both the long and short form blog. He's pretty prolific, posting something almost every day, seems yeah, like. It is. And he's amazing. And, and man, I wish I was able to do some of the long form stuff he does. We also got our friend Chris Wallace, a model or a model airplane maker. He's got a blog and a great YouTube channel as well. And I tell you, his his latest drop for his blog uh, was about uh, in the box reviews. Yes. <laughs> and he gave Ev- Evan uh, McCallum, uh, Panzermeister thirty six, a good plug uh, for good reason too. For good reason too. So be sure to check that one out. Yep. Uh, Jeff Groves, Inchai Guy, all things seventy second skill. Check out his blog. And finally, Jim Bates, a Scale Canadian TV. Can't go wrong with Jim. He's making the rounds on the podcast too. So yeah, and he just dropped a new YouTube uh, 
and he's reorganized his his blog, which is just a scalecanadian.com. Uh, check it out. All right, Dave. Finally, and you all have been listening, and I want to tell you how much I appreciate it. Uh, normally, this is the place where I plug joining your national IPMS organization. You all have been listening and you all have been doing that. And I want to take this moment to thank everyone who's done that. It has improved IPMS USA's numbers. It has improved IPMS Canada's numbers. They are both getting not only new members, but new members bring new blood and new participation. So once you've joined, please look into your national organization, offer to write for the magazine, see what they have available and what you can do to fully participate. It really will help round out your modeling experience. So for all of you who have joined the national organization in your local country, thank you very much. Well, Dave, let's take a break here and have a word from our sponsor, Model Paint Solutions. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder steam back airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. We're back, Dave, and it's Wagons Ho for Omaha once again. And we have Omaha Update. We do. At the time of this recording, we are 163 days away from the 2022 IPMS convention in Omaha, Nebraska. Nice. And as of the past Tuesday from this recording, February 1st, registration is now open. I was registered that morning. So was I. And so is just about everybody else with a microphone in front of them that we know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> there will be a plethora of model podcasters at the Omaha show. All hanging out and being stupid together. Yes, that's right. Because <laughs> when we do it individually, we're stupid. But when we do it together, we're really cool stupid. Well, one thing I'd like to add is uh, the Night at the Museum tickets are available, I think. Uh, that is limited to 250 Yep. If you want to do the night at the museum, catered meal, and ropes off tour of the museum after you're done stuffing your gut, uh, you better get on it. Yeah, because those will go quickly. I know that... Uh, I know Plastic Model Mojo sucked up five of them. Yeah, yeah five of them. <laughs> you, me, and the OTB boys, they, they gave me a very nice shout out on their last episode for having picked up their tickets for that tour. Well, that'll be fun. Yes, that will be. Now, the, the, the website doesn't have everything populated yet, but in the coming days and weeks ahead, the rest that's going to flesh out and you can do all your other stuff. Right now, you can register for the show. You can reserve your T-shirts. You can get Night at the Museum tickets. You can get tickets for Speed Museum. Maybe something else. I don't know. Get on the website and, and check it out and see what you can reserve for at any given time. As those populate, one thing to consider is if you have the means to sponsor a trophy package, if you've got a hobby business, if you've got a website, a blog, a podcast, or you know it's your club and you got funds to do it, sponsor a trophy package, sponsor the show, get involved and uh, help this thing be a huge success. And I have no doubt it's going to be. The guys at Omaha 
are very experienced. They've done this three times in the past, twice, uh, twice since 2011. So they run a tight ship. I have no doubt, given their experience, this is going to be another really, really great national. So make plans, try and get there, clear your calendar. If you can, any way you can do it, you're going to want to do it. Well, I think the uh, uh, at least a large swath of the foreign contingent is going to be back. So Yes. Yeah, it looks like finally Omicron may have been in some ways our savior, and it looks like a lot of these restrictions on travel are disappearing, which gives me confidence that we're going to get our, our uh, north of the border folks back down here. We're going to get the Aussies here and... Uh, Maybe the Japanese uh, and the maybe Europeans. the Japanese, the the folks from Europe and our South American contingent, because there's usually a decent South American contingent at the nationals from either Mexico, Central America, or some of the South American countries. So always worth coming to the nationals. So get registered, get a plan, yes. get get in line. That's right, get it done. You do not want to spend precious modeling time standing in line trying to register the day of the show get online get get pre-registered up next dave is benchtop halftime report sponsored by tacket z tacket z is the must-have tools for the model maker visit tacketz.com and check out all they've got to offer still man i'm still loving the alligator clips uh, something I'm, as simple as that i don't know yep. why but yep indispensable Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I use it nearly every time I hit the air booth, I'm using it. All right, Dave. We gave folks a break from the Benchtop Halftime Report, but we're not done yet. The projects have moved, and I think we've got some substantive updates this time. Ye so uh, let's hear it, Dave. What's you got going on on the bench? I am happy to report that it is quite possible that by the time listeners listen to this episode, I will have my first completion for 2022. All right, man. The uh, Tamiya Mosquito is, uh, I'm, I am on to pencil weathering and painting the canopy, which I will then attach. And then to be honest with you, it's, it's about done. If I'm lucky, it'll be done by the time this drops on Friday. If not, it will be done probably by the end of the weekend. And I'll be able to simply put it in a case and then rub it in my face. Well, that too. And <laughs> I'll have made space. Uh, the M30 will move over because uh, thanks to the pushing that I've gotten, uh, I'm now confident enough with attempting chipping to uh, basically say, what the heck, let's do it, get it done. And, uh, you know, if I get the chipping then, done and it's mud and dust and the M30's done, I could uh, I could have two under my belt by the by the end of February or mid-March, at which point my desktop or my benchtop becomes very clear. And while I've still got one or two other projects going, I may actually either bring something off the shelf of doom or start a new kit. And I've been thinking about several. Or both. 
or both. You know, who knows? I thought uh, I want to. I want to be efficient. Time management. I want to get stuff done. So is the is the mosquito going to go to gnats? I. You know what? It's it is not. You should you should bring your models to the gnats and enter them, no matter what you think of them. But this this is uh, my goal with every model is to do a little bit better than my previous model. This does not achieve that goal. Part of it has to do with the fact that it was something that I built for a group build rather than something that I chose to build. That's a kiss of death for me. It 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 is, and I've I've got to say it's made me rethink it, and I probably am, you know I swear I'll never do it again, and then I end up doing it. But hopefully, I I've learned my lesson in that regard. I might bring it to Omaha, but just just to do it. All right. Well, I'm hoping to have a much better model to enter at Omaha as well. Okay. Well, I think uh, for these group builds, you got to take a more passive aggressive approach. You got to you got to you have to start a project that you're interested in and then sell it to your group. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, you were a little behind the curtains here. Mike uh, was on the last group call with the Septemberists. Uh, so who knows? He may get sucked into the, to one of their, their group builds. That's where the mosquito came from. So we'll talk about know. that more, more at, at, during a later episode, different yeah. episode. Yeah. That's a interesting group of guys. Is that all you got going on? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much nothing on the B 52. Well, the B 52 has made a little progress, but one of the things I did again, trying to get something done. I intentionally said, I'm not going to do much on this or that, the 52 or the M30. I'm going to make myself focus to get this mosquito done because it's so close and has been close for quite a while. So I've made some minimal progress on the B-52, but and that build is going very, very quickly. I've got to say, this kit the, the, it's not my normal scale, but this this new Academy kit is qu- of the B-52H is quite impressive. Well, you post some of those pictures on Facebook. You've been sending them to me, but you haven't been putting All them right. on Facebook. I'll, I'll do that. So, uh, Mike, uh, do you have a bench bench top update? Dude, I've been modeling circles around you. Yeah, you say that, but you haven't finished anything. But you were sick, so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I was kicking a man while he was down. That's right. That's right. So what progress have you made? Well, the groundwork for my little Zis2 vignette is in full swing. I'm attempting the methods that have been showcased on Martin Kovacs Night Shift Modeling YouTube channel, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a little unorthodox based on my prior education, I guess I would say. So you're going to paint it all black? Well, yeah. Let me get to that part, though. Okay. Um, basically, it's it's using like an air dry clay, like DOS air dry clay for the groundwork instead of like cellular clay that we always use based on the old ship pain books and stuff. Right. That's, that's a shift to positive in itself, that, that move. And then I'm using a homebrew kind of ground goop just for lack of better word, but lack of a better description. Uh-huh. Um, so Martin in his videos mixes up this stuff and I'm trying to follow along. So I'm, um, I'm kind of using a, a PVA glue, some sifted topsoil, a few drops of dish soap, and a little plaster thrown in for some body. 
to to create this kind of uh well the PVA is a polyvinyl something right. acetate I don't can't remember what it is but as opposed to like the packaged the Vallejo stuff I used way back on that PT seventy six base right this is clearly a superior approach really what why do you find it superior because the texture you get from this is completely random whereas with the the can products is is very uniform and gotcha. unnat- unnatural the colors un well the, well when we get to this paint it black the color doesn't matter right uh, but I, I think like the Vallejo stuff is is packaged to where you know they're assuming you're not going to paint it when you're done right yeah uh, although but, almost everybody I see who uses it paints it uh one tip here is I use the Aline's PVA glue from like Michaels yeah Martin talks about using a wood glue sometimes. And I, I tried mixing up my first batch of goop with Elmer's wood glue. Yeah. That didn't work at all. Okay. Uh, that stuff clumped up and beat it off this DOS air dried clay like nobody's business. It wouldn't spread for nothing. So his wood glue must be different than the stuff we have over here. Uh, yeah, it's a random texture. Uh, and I tell you, the big switch here is that you're going to put this stuff down that's kind of dirt colored already. And it might dry even to something you like. But I'm going to say add the plaster because the plaster, when it dries, will really lighten this up to something you don't like, and it will force your hand to do the next step. And that next step is to forget the color of the static grass, forget the color of the dirt, and paint the entire thing black. Now, after you put the the goop on, then you put your static grass on, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got that part. Very neon static grass, too. It's, yeah, it's the chi- Chinese factory static grass. It came with my static grass applicator, and that was a shocking experience. I was going to say, uh, did you learn anything about static electricity? Uh, you know, for a couple of AA batteries, that thing's got quite a wallop. And when I say don't touch the screen on the applicator, they mean it. Now, you did that unintentionally. You weren't testing it going, oh, this can't be that bad, right? No, I was putting it back in the box. <laughs> oh, and you had and it had, turned on? And, and I had my, No, I had my thumb on the screen. Uh-huh. And then when I was putting in the box, that I depressed the button. <laughs> and I tell you, a couple of AA batteries, I really, I really thought I was going to have to drive to Louisville to get my manhood because I think that's where they were going to land. <laughs> oh, so Man. you got it. So you got a new way to keep the teenage boys in line <laughs> yeah, or, or at least get them out of bed in the morning. Get a little cattle prod. <laughs> That's right. Another tip from this is when you're mixing this goop, start with the wet stuff and then put the dry stuff in. Because if you put the dry stuff in and you're like trying to put the Aline's craft glue in, it's kind of a puff bottle. Yeah. You're going to blow like topsoil <laughs> dust all over your workbench. Gotcha. And that's not from experience. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> You'd never make that mistake. You're 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 an advanced modeler. That's right. You know, I this is really looking good. I'm I'm at the point now that the construction of the base work is now complete, and it's time to paint it black. So, hopefully, this week into the weekend, I'll crank up the airbrush and I'll paint the static grass and all the dirt black, and I'll start re- repainting it per per what Martin does in his videos. Now, when when you applied the static grass you applied the static when you did your basic groundwork goop then you used what like a pva water mixture no straight 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 pva i like dab it on with a stiff brush 
Okay, yes. wherever you wanted the static grass to land, and then you hit it with the gun. Hit it with the gun, and boom, it's magic right there. And is. then did you go back and put some little plants and stuff? No, not yet. I, I okay. think I'm going to stick with what I got, because there's really not that much grass on there. Okay. I think it'll be fine. I, I, no, no, I did go back and add some. I've got a couple of different manufacturers, the pre-made clumps. Yes. The, the taller static grass. Yes. I worked some of that in too. So it's not, it's not all, you know, it doesn't look like a Lucas oil field. Yeah. I was going to say that is, I think one of the, the downfalls of a lot of people, if they're doing either diorama scenes or bases. And again, you look at Martin's stuff and one of the things he gets in, and uh, even Shep Payne emphasized this in his uh, books, was varying levels of height of the stuff. So you might have low grass and then some clumps of higher grass and then maybe a tree stump or a, 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 a small tree or something so that you get multiple levels which does it makes it look less toy like by doing that. So another thing I had to do is, you know, I, I'd pressed all the various small parts into the clay before it dried. Right. And you might get it perfect the first time, but if you don't, uh, you kind of got to go back and build up around those. And Martin does this in, in his, in the Yog Panther video, he goes back and he, he pushes the dry soil. He's sprinkled on there up against the tracks and, and various things. Right. Um, uh, my glue mixture for that kind of loose cut-in kind of soil is uh, the PVA glue again, water, and I actually used to me a X20A. They're they're uh, alcohol-based thinner. Hmm. Well, I know I know he uses like uh, the VMS fixer. Yeah. The the clear fixer, or I think AK also makes one of those because I think I actually may have that. Regardless of what you use, I I put this on with a like a pipette. Mm-hmm. You know, just flow it in there and, and set all that up. And it's all rock hard. None of it's coming off the base. It's really worked out nice. Now I just got to, I got to finish the painting process and go to the next step and get this done. So, you know, now that I got this done, I think the end is really in sight for this project. So well, good. I'm feeling, feeling pretty good about it. Good. We most both might have one under our belt pretty soon. Uh, the next one that's furthest along is the Mooseroo Cup entry. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, assembly is 100% done for what I'm going to do with it. Uh, I'm ready to prime it. And soon my, as soon as my primer gets back from Louisville, <laughs> uh, we're going to prime it and start painting it. Now, uh, I'm going to try some techniques on this thing. That I, was, I, I plan on using it on future builds in my own kind of genre. You know, so, that is uh, one, one nice thing. If you're building something that was not your choice, but was part of a group build or something like that. It is an opportunity for you to say, you know what? I'm going to do some things to this almost as if it was uh, a paint mule to, to, to try some stuff that I want to try on something real in the future. Yes, exactly right. That's what I'm doing. So I I got about five weeks to finish this. I got to get on it. Got to get my primer here so I can get rolling. Uh, and finally, I'm back on this BM13 Katusha, which is kind of my next project that we decided in the hotel room in, in Las Vegas, remember? <laughs> yes. <laughs> after, after beer and bourbon, yes, decisions were made. Not all of them were 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 the best, but this one I think is probably one of the better ones. So the, the big thing on this project is the, it's, well, let me describe it again because I haven't talked about it in a while. It's a Frankenstein. Right. 
Alan Hobbies out of Russia kitted a BM13 Katusha on a Zis 6 truck. And the Zis, tr- the Zis 6 truck came from somebody else. So you get that kit. It was a Zis 5, a two axle truck. And the 6 is a three axle truck. So right. they took the somebody else's kit. They created this short run sprue of parts to convert it to a Zis 6. So basically what you have is a kind of a short run kit to begin with. Yeah. So now you have a, a sprue that's a short run version of a short run kit. Yeah. So you can imagine where that's going. It's like it's carved out of soap, maybe. Right. Most of it's going in the trash, I suspect. Most of it's going in the trash. So I've got, I don't want to use that kit to build the project. So the, the Zis 5 is also kitted by Hobby Boss, which is a pretty nice truck. Yeah. So the, the, the chassis frames the same length. And, and ironically, to convert in this Allen Hobby's Katusha kit, to convert the Zis 5 that's in the kit to the 6, they have you trim off stuff from the frame and add these new parts, which is that is exactly what I have to do with the Hobby Boss kit. Right. So why not do it with the with the much with, better kit? With the much better kit. So I, I dove in the deep end on Fusion 360. That's CAD package, and I've modeled the rear leaf spring assembly to replace the Allen kit part. Mm-hmm. And I invested a lot of time to get up the learning curve. And now I can do most anything in Fusion 360 I could do in the CAD package I used at work my last job, which was which was uh Katia version five. Uh it's looking pretty good. I put some prints or some screenshots on the Facebook page. I'm gonna do a test print as soon as the printer's free at work. And I think uh that's really the only blocker on this on this project. Oh, the the leaf str- the leaf spring you think is the big thing you needed to overcome? Yeah, cuz it was so bad I wanted to replace it. So now I can replace it. I don't know if you put it on the Facebook page, but you sent me a picture of the part from the kit and man, that that bad. was ugly. <laughs> that, that was that was freaking ugly. So I just need to finish this this two gun. So I can start this thing in earnest. So it's it's going to be the next project. Well, good. I can't wait to see it. And that's my bench. It's a lot. All right. I've been I've been busy, man. I've been killing it. Uh, you have, you have, and uh, it, COVID had me down a little bit. Not truly from being sick, but the one thing I did uh, I did say that is it made you tired. So I didn't. I'm only now returning to the bench in the kind of strength that that I'm happy to see. So, uh, Mike, we haven't talked about what's been what's been dropped into the model or announced into the model world recently, and uh, I'll tell you what i I've got a lot of faves in this <laughs> for this uh, segment. So, um, let me start with my first fave because I think All I've right. got more than you. You probably do. Go for it. ICM has announced. A K, both versions of the KI 21 Sally Bomber, which we, we folks who really are Japanese World War II aircraft nuts have needed for quite some time. There, there has not been a modern release of a KI 21. ICM's a good company. They do good stuff. So I have high hopes that they get it right. And, um, when this finally drops, this will be one that I really will move 
fairly quickly on simply because of the fact that it is, uh, there's so many neat schemes and it was used so widely. So uh, that that's the first of my, that's probably the biggest of my faves. My first one is outside my genre. Oh, great. And maybe we got a little overlap here. We'll see. Uh, Border Models in 35th scale is releasing a Deutsches Kriegsmarine Type 7C U-boat conning tower and deck with the gun. Yeah. Now, this is not my bag, but uh, this is a sweet kit that's going to, there's going to be some freaking amazing builds come from this kit. Yes. Uh, didn't Andrea, Andreas Miniatures do one of these in 35th a long time ago that cost an arm and both legs? I think you're right. I don't remember specifically. I don't remember if it was in 35th think, scale or if it was in a larger scale. I think it was either 35th or 32nd. But it, 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 I, I saw a couple of, of beautiful builds of that, but it was massively expensive. So I've got to think with the improvements in technology and, and everything that this is going to be something spectacular. I, I think so. I, you know, between border and who's using the turrets, Tacom. Um, yeah, I you know it's some bold stuff. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I agree. We're see we're we're people are are the model companies are going outside of another Panther, another Stug, another one hundred and nine, another whatever to do some really really interesting and unusual items but they're doing all that stuff too that's what yeah that's true they are doing that stuff too so there are no no complaints from that well what's your next one my next one is and this was brought to my attention by Stephen lee because he posted about it on his uh blog a company called snowman which is either related to tacom or Another company is doing a 72nd scale DF-41. And what that is, is a Chinese mobile ICBM launcher. It's a 10-wheel transportation vehicle, and the intercontinental ballistic missile that goes with it. And this is... It's just wicked cool, and it's uh, it's something that the moment I saw it, I went, "Yeah, I want to add that to my collection." <laughs> I will tell I will tell you my probably my major interest is actually in the ICBM rather than the transporter, but you know they don't sell them separately, so I'll be getting it. How about you? Well, my next one's some four uh, A hobbies again. Uh huh. And they got another 72nd scale snowboat. Oh, really? Yeah, they got a S38B, which is the S38 with an armored bridge. Oh, okay. And maybe the maybe the armament gets swizzled a little bit too. But it, right. it reminds it reminds me I need to pick up the first one. Yes, and I do. I need to pick up the first one as well. So I, I've not looked. I, I imagine there's probably a build review out there of the first one already, given it's been you know several months. Yeah, I would think so, but I haven't looked. But man, that kit looked so good at Nats last last year. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And those are just cool boats. They, they really are. are. And it was a really neat kit too, because you know 
yeah. ship's going to have some photo etch in yeah. that scale. And it did. And it's looked really, really well done. Yep. I agree. I need I to find agree. a review to see if it lives up to the <laughs> first impressions. Yeah. I wondered if Andy's Hobby Headquarters did one. I have to look. I would have, that seemed to me like that would have been up his alley. Maybe. I, I, I don't think so, but maybe. Okay. Well, we'll check. What else you got? My next one is Special Hobby has announced a CW21, which is a Curtis Wright light fighter that was built and sold for export uh, prior to World War II and into early World War II. Um, the reason this one tickles my fancy is that uh, one of the major customers for these aircraft were the Dutch East Indies. And mm-hmm. so because of my interest in the early 1941-1942 battles in the Dutch East Indies and Singapore and Burma, etc., uh, this one this one will fill a hole in that range. So I definitely will be picking that up. Well, my next one's a yawn, Dave. Okay. Go for it. Amusing Hobbies. Tiger P number 003 with full interior. This is the this is the prototype tiger with the with the turret forward. It's the weird looking thing. It's the weird thing that it was the prototype what well, was it was Porsche's heavy tank chassis with a turret uh that was I guess it was built for their, you know, they're competing for that program right with right potential right and there was one of these fielded for service it was a command vehicle for one of the ferdinand units oh really i didn't realize any of them ever got out of the yeah. out of the and, and it's testing. it's got a somewhat storied history but this thing's a one-off and it's just not for me i'm, I'm sure it's a bang-up kit but yeah i don't know man not my jam i hear you i hear you it's odd one of the things that doesn't help is it's ugly yeah it is fugly i mean it is really really <laughs> not attractive yeah no i can i can understand well instead of a yawn i've got another fave and that is clear prop has announced a dh9a kit uh the dh9a was a biplane of the uh of the late teens, early twenties, uh, it was used by both. I think the uh, U.S. Army Air Corps uh, when they were building out their fledgling uh, post World War One service. Uh, it was also used by the British uh, all over the empire. In fact, I saw a build of the CMK resin kit on 72nd scale aircraft forum by one of the participants there that truly is one of the finest models I've ever seen built. One of the reason he used the CMK resin kit is there wasn't a good DH9A out there in 72nd scale by anybody. So it's nice that ClearProp will do a good job. ClearProp stuff that they've released up to now has all been quality. And this is an attractive biplane, and I think it will be very, very popular among the 72nd scale aircraft guys. Got anything else? Nope. That's my last one. Oh, we didn't overlap. I thought we might. Yeah. No. I, well, I, I trimmed. 
Well, good. Well, I think we're ready for our special segment, Dave. I think we are. One man's trash. Well, materials, supplies, and one man's trash, which is also known as another man's treasure. This segment, we're going to kind of touch on what we have on hand, you know, not our paints and paintbrushes and glues and stuff, but, but the other supplies we have on hand on our workbench. And maybe some of them are commercial and maybe some of them are repurposed and unorthodox. So uh, how you want to start off, Dave, I'll let you go first. One of the things, and you probably do this too, no matter where you are, you're always looking at things and going, can I use that in the hobby room? I mean, anytime you go to Michael's or, or um, uh, you know, Hobby Lobby or something like that, you're not over just with the airbrush or the models or whatever. You're walking around the rest of the store going, hmm, I wonder if I could use that for X. This extends to me even to fast food joints. And one of the things that I have is that I have a collection of these little sauce cups that if you go to a lot of fast food places that that have barbecue sauces or or dipping sauces or whatever, they'll have them. And you can snag a few every time you're in there. And <laughs> you're that guy. I am that guy. I will I will completely <laughs> admit to being that guy. If I think I can use it in my hobby room, you know, I'm making a purchase from this uh, uh, business anyway. I'm going to pick up a few of those. And I use those little cups not only for paint mixing. Uh, I use them actually to uh, uh, put small parts in, in a project that I'm working on, just to, to keep them contained on my bench. So if you're in a fast food place and you see those things, those are great for for uh, using on the hobby bench. Well, if you're going to start for re with repurposed, I'm going to do the same thing. Okay, that's fine. Just uh, as a top-level category, food packaging. Yep. Those takeout tubs from the Indian or Chinese place, man. Yep. I enjoy my Vindaloo, then run it through the wash. And then I've got a container for, you know, you get the pint size, the, the tall ones I can use for my brush water on the, on the workbench for my acrylic painting, brush painting. Right. And then I've got a lot of the short ones mm -hmm. that I use for uh, like my ground scatter and stuff for my, my diorama materials. Right. So if you're going out foraging for all of this different stuff to make your, your diorama materials, you use these, these repurposed containers so that you can keep it organized. And you know, though, when I got frozen food inserts, I've got scores of various trays and tubs and compartmented meal trays and things. And I use that crap all the time, man. Speaking of the Vindaloo and the Indian food containers, <laughs> the rectangular ones with the top on them are great if, you know, one of the things that you have to watch out with, especially if you have multiple projects and you have to, if you're working in limited space and you have to shift projects in and out, one of the worst things in the world is to lose parts. So you can take one of those containers and it is a great container to hold all of the loose parts, maybe parts that have been painted, but not yet attached to the model or removed from the sprues, but not yet attached to the model or not yet painted. Those little containers, because they are, uh, you know, have a very tight sealing lid 
are really fantastic for that. You can even write on them so that, you know, you uh, hopefully you're not in the condition like me where you have a shelf of doom with way too many things, but you can actually write what's what on the container itself. Well, that's all I got for repurposed. I mean, I, I use the, I use a ton of that stuff. Well, no, I take that back. I've got a whole bag full of like, uh, gosh, I haven't, I've, I had so many that I stopped and I, I still haven't used them all, but there was a time, especially when the kids were like back to the toddler thing. Uh, I saved all the baby food lids, all the orange juice caps, all the milk caps, <laughs> all yeah. those plastic lids. I still got tons of that stuff. And I, I like using those polypropylene lids off milk jugs and stuff for, for super glue palettes. Oh, it is. That is, that is the best super glue palette because it's contained. It's got a lip on it. Uh, it's big enough that you can actually get access to the super glue drops that you put in there. Then when you're done, toss it away. Don't give That's it right. a second thought. Don't have to clean it up. Don't have to do any of that. You can just throw them away when you're when you're done, and that is that is fantastic. As far as repurpose things, another thing that that I highly recommend is if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot, if you go into their their tile and countertop sections, a lot of times they have little sample tiles or little sample countertop pieces that are available for the taking. They are meant to be spirited away so that you can go home and put them on your countertop and your wife can decide whether or not that's what she wants. But they also make really great small things, small pieces for cutting or putting a pool of putty or uh, taping small parts to to be painted. You uh, particularly the marble ones are really good for bending and cutting photo etch because of the hard glass like surface. The, those things, and you know, it doesn't take much to build up a stack of those. And I I need to replenish mine down because I'm down to my last one. It's something that you can make use out of that that they don't they don't mind if you take them. So there's a lot of repurposed stuff out there. I mean, you can, a lot of stuff comes in handy. Yeah. And, and I would love to hear what other folks out there repurpose, uh, Ziploc bags. I'm sure people repurpose those, but I would love to hear what other people are finding in what would become trash or what comes home from the restaurant or, or anything like that, that, you repurpose and you have on your hobby bench. Well, moving on to other things that aren't paint, aren't tools, but uh, oh. are staples on the on the workbench is uh, for me is my scratch building stock. Sheet plastic and and all, strip all that. plastic and round. I'm heavily invested in evergreen. <laughs> you own a lot of evergreen stock, as it were. That's right. That's that was, that was real good. How you did that. Thank- Thank you. I like that. <laughs> you know, they're sheets diary, and I, I keep from five thousands up to eighty thousands on hand all the time. Yeah, I've got some of it all the time. Uh, now, the the thicker stuff, the eighty thousands, I typically use that for like making construction jigs and stuff. Right. I, I don't find a lot of use for it for general modeling. Uh, yeah. 
Now the, the really thin stuff, the five thousandths, that stuff you can get kind of creative with. I use that. I was going to say, I, I think five thousandths is probably the most useful sheet they make. I don't know if it's the most useful, but it's got some kind of unorthodox uses, like for attaching photo etch to a model. Yeah. Where you actually glue the photo etch to the 5,000 styrene, then cut it out, and then glue it to the model with uh, normal plastic cement. It's so it's so thin, it just melts away. I've got most of their various strip sizes on hand. I, I probably have, over the years, my model, I've probably collected probably 75, 80% of their entire range. Yeah. Uh, I find the 10,000 strip stock the most useful just because it's thin and you, I, use, I use it for a lot of stuff. I, yeah. And you can put it through it. It's trued up. You can put it through a chopper and end up with a lot of identical sections. It's very oh, yeah. easy to do. God, I read one of the modeling. I don't know if it's one of Shep Payne's books or not. That kind of, uh, I don't know, not buying that because you can cut it yourself from the sheet stock. Well, that's a, pain the butt man yes and to get it to get it trued up is even worse so i I, for me it's it's money well spent you know i've got most of the styrene rod from evergreen the tubing i only get the selected sizes i might need for a particular project and i've I've accumulated it quite a bit over the years but that's not one the tubing is not one i stock in depth the the rod and strip are Mm -hmm. uh you know they've got like some structural shapes some angle iron and stuff like that i've got i got a little bit of that but uh Evergreen is one I'm heavily invested in. Now, another one is Plastruct. Yes. To a lesser degree. Now, not the ABS range. Now, right. the, AB, the ABS stuff is the stuff that was in the old orange carousel at the hobby shop, you know? Right. ABS is not styrene. And won't glue with styrene. That's right. And it's if, you're, if you've not planned to be using ABS on your workbench, you probably don't have the right cement. And it's going to give you bonding issues. It's going to give you paint adhesion issues. I don't like that stuff. Right. Plastruct has a polystyrene range as well. And they've got styrene rod down to 10 thousandths of an inch, which is smaller than evergreen. Yep. And if you look across their entire polystyrene range of structural shapes, it fills a lot of holes in the, in the evergreen range. Yes, it does. And, and you can use those, uh, both the evergreen strip, and some of the smaller plastistruct rod to yep. actually fill seams. You can you you coat it with coat it with uh, uh, Tamiya extra thin or whatever your glue of choice is. Shove it down into the gap. When it dries, trim it off. Hit it with sandpaper. You're sanding plastic, so it blends beautifully. It's it's a a, a really nice thing to have hanging around the shop. Plastruct also makes some odd shapes in their styrene, styrene range. They've got some triangular cross sections and some quarter rounds and uh, half rounds. Mm-hmm. And at a time of need, that stuff comes in really handy. So look into that, the Plastruct styrene, styrene line, not the ABS line, but the styrene line. And the nice thing is all of that stuff is relatively inexpensive. So it's pretty easy to build up a, um, a nice collection to have on hand without sinking just a bloody ton of money into it. Now, the key that I, th- I think for that, and I am terrible at this is organization, <laughs> keeping, keeping it organized so that when you want the 10,000 strip, you can find the 10,000 strip. And I, I will admit 
up front that I'm terrible at this. I've got it all piled together. And when it comes time for me to need something like that, I spend 20 minutes locating it. 20 minutes I could have been modeling. So, <laughs> you know, don't do what I do. Do what I say. Get organized. You got anything you stock regularly? Uh, well, yeah. A couple of things. Pipettes to the little, the plastic disposable pipettes. I know Dr. Miller sells them, or you can buy them in bulk from a number of different manufacturers. You know, you see on YouTube where Evan or other people, they transfer paint from a bottle into another mixing vessel using a toothpick to to run down the, to run down the, the, into the other container. I use pipettes, disposable pipettes for that. One of the nice things is you can control the volume that you're adding much better with the with the, these little disposable plastic pipettes. The last time I bought them, I got a box of a thousand of them off of Amazon, I believe. Then I, I took a few hundred of them and threw them in a box and mailed them to Jim Bates. So he uses the ones because, I mean, the box will last you forever, but uh, I'm about to go get a new box, have to go out and get a new box because I am finally running low on that. Something else that I think it, it's kind of both repurpose and something that you should keep on your bench, to, uh, uh, a variety of toothpicks. Toothpicks come in handy for any number of things, not only just stirring paint or stuff like that or mixing two-part epoxy. The advantage of two wooden toothpicks is that they're non-reactive to the paints and the glues that we use. So you can stir them without worrying that the, you know, if you're using a piece of styrene that something would melt or whatever. Uh, and various shapes of toothpick. Uh, the flat toothpicks can be cut to a chisel shape and dipped in water. And if you have to clean up the frame lines on a canopy after you've painted it and removed the masking, uh, a great way to clean up those frame lines is to rub the wooden toothpick that's cut into a, a chisel shape up against that frame, and it'll take off excess paint that's creeped under your, your uh, mask. And the nice thing is, the wet the wet wooden toothpick doesn't scratch the plastic the clear plastic at all so it's a great tool for removing stuff like that i i will tell you i i reach for toothpicks at some point in nearly every construction se session either to mix paint or or mix uh, epoxy or or mix putty something like that Almost every time. So I keep a generous supply of, of different types of toothpicks around. Well, there's another kind of category of commercially available stuff that I keep a lot of on hand. It's uh, metal wire and tubes and structural shapes. Yes. Uh, Albion is the, the probably the most famous distributor of, of these items. I'll start with D Detail Associates, which is a model railroad company. Uh, primarily, and mm -hmm. they, they sell a wide range of brass wire in various diameters. It's all imperial sizes, but they've got a pretty, pretty wide range. Uh, I keep generally all those diameters on hand if I can find them. 
I, I think I'm pretty good right now. I think I've got them all. Uh, and like you just mentioned, Albion Alloys uh, has a lot of brass and aluminum or aluminium for our <laughs> United Kingdom and uh, New Zealand and Australian listeners. Uh, a lot of uh, wire and structural shapes. Now, they're, they are metric, which I work in metric at my workbench as you know, for, particularly for scratch building and that kind of thing. I, I just do. Right. Um, as an aside, the reason I do that is you can buy a high quality metric scale or a ruler that's that's partitioned to a, a half a millimeter. Mm-hmm. If it's partitioned to a half a millimeter, you can eyeball a quarter of a millimeter halfway between the two half a millimeter right. graduations. Uh, that's good enough most of the time. That's that's why I like metric, yeah. Personally, uh, yeah. But back to the topic on hand, uh, the Albion alloy stuff is metric. Uh, they got a lot of really small sizes, uh, telescoping, yes. tubing, and aluminum. And guys like three metals: brass, maybe nickel, silver, and and aluminum. All three, maybe. Yeah, and the telescoping, the ability to to have the outer diameter of one size fit the inner diameter of uh, the next up tube so that you can make things like aircraft struts or, uh, you know, telescoping antennas, stuff Pedo like tubes. that. Pedo tubes. Yes, absolutely. So Albion's got a lot of rod tube and structural shapes. They got some really fine, uh, you know, one or two millimeter per side L girders and stuff like that. Yeah. R- really useful stuff if, if you're a scratch builder. Uh, so check, check that out. Albion alloys. That's, that's one to, if you don't, you don't have to have a lot of it on hand, but, to, to know it as a go-to for small diameter tubing and wire and, and structural shapes. Good thing to know. I will tell you, they occasionally come over to the U S nationals. And when they do, I end up carrying home a whole bunch of, of different sizes of mer- various metal tubes and rods and stuff. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, just speaking of which, that that brings up something kind of related. If you're going to throw anything electric away because it's died and it's easy to open up and get at the innards, there is in most electronics a lot of really neat very fine wire that you can use for, you know, the plumbing in uh, aircraft gear bays or or wires leading to uh, headlights on AFVs. Uh, A lot of scrap copper and and other different types of wires that you can salvage out. You're throwing the thing away anyway. Why not open it up with a screwdriver and strip some wire out of it and throw it in your collection. Especially if it's got a DC motor in it. Yes. Because you're going to get like four miles of copper wire out of that. Yeah. Do you know where (laughs) another place for really, really super fine copper wire, I mean, almost like hair, is, you know, these uh, key cards, the the plastic key cards that you put up against a reader? to get you access to things like your hotel room. Well, right. Like your hotel room or, or my, my garage uh, where I down where I work. When those cards go bad, when they're done, they've cracked and you get a replacement, take the old card, split it open. It has a coil 
a very, very, very fine copper wire in it that is really, really useful. You could almost rig a 70-second scale biplane with it. It is that fine. And uh, again, anything electronic, particularly if it has a DC motor in it, open it up before you throw it away and strip out the wire. Uh, I mean, why not? Got anything else, Dave? You mentioned something related to your benchtop part, part of our programming. Dirt and yard waste. And, and <laughs> you know, some people used to make fun of that. But I think because that was done many, many years ago. And then people got away from it and said, oh, no, why would you use that? There are these products you could use. And now I think people are going back to it, going out in their backyards and finding roots and twigs that they can use as the basis for trees, finding fine dirt that they can incorporate in their uh, ground base for their groundwork. Uh, I know uh, Martin does this a lot in his videos. Uh, uh, he's got seed balls, seagrass seed balls to to get fine, just fine strands to use in his dioramas. And I, what all have you harvested out of your yard? Uh, mostly it's th- this the soil I've got is is topsoil and it's sifted down. And then uh, I tell you, I've got this from when I was doing the model railroad, and we had a modular railroad we were building a while back. This is years ago. And we actually accumulated a bunch of this topsoil, sifted it all down to some size, and then we 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 baked it in the oven for a while to kill all kill all the organics in it. Yeah, just because if if you don't, your diorama might mold later. Yes, and that's kind of one thing you got to watch with with natural dirts. But it's God, you can get it down to where it's, it's dust. Yeah. And you sift it through these fine brass screens you might already have in your workbench for for whatever reason you picked them up, uh, or you can go buy some fine brass screen or some. Or you you can go to a, uh, a kitchen supply store and buy uh, sifters. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they have and that nice cup shape that easy to work with. So that's that's what's uh, what I've been doing. It's just topsoil. Now I had not thought about baking the topsoil. That's a great idea because I know uh, you, you. One of the knocks against using organic materials was that they they may break down for whatever reason, or something might grow, <laughs> or some, or worse yet, something might grow. Um, you know that was always a, way way back in the day. And guys, this is God, probably forty or fifty years. The people who use flour uh, as yeah. as snow, <laughs> and then ended up with weevils and bugs in their in their dioramas because, of course, that flour is food and and organic, and things are attracted to it. Well, they're always there to begin with. But that's a whole different conversation. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Depending on where you bought your flour, so it's not just limited to walking into the to the uh, hardware store or the department store or the Hobby Lobby or Michael's craft store, but even when you're out and about, 
even when you're in your backyard, you you pull you're pulling up weeds or or small trees or bushes, and you look at those uh, uh, branches or you look at those roots, and if you look at them with the right eye, you may find, hey, that's something I could use or something that I could make into something. All right, so. Let's finish up by asking our listeners, what do you keep stocked? What do you repurpose and how do you use it? Let us know. Send us an email, plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com. Yep. And if you want to post on our Facebook page, please post on the Facebook page. We'll get it into the main feed and we want to see what you all are doing. Mike, uh, we're about the end of the episode. The modeling fluid, uh, I've reached the the bottom of my uh, bottle. Likewise, Dave. Well, uh, I've got to say, Moosehead, every bit as good as I remembered it. 5% alcohol by, by volume, so it's a classic mass market or mid-market beer. It tasted every bit as good as I remembered it, and I can definitely see drinking this thing particularly if you're doing something where you don't want to drink a heavier beer this would be great for yard work type stuff so it brought back memories and they're all good how about you well i'm finishing up the jefferson's reserve very old very small batch it's a 90-ish proof 90.2 or 3 proof Mm -hmm. uh distilled and bottled by mclean and kine of louisville kentucky i wonder where they're located i have to look well, Louisville, Kentucky, Dave. Yeah, I know, but where? Louisville <laughs> Louisville is not a small city. They're, they're, I wonder where the distillery actually is located. Uh, and this stuff's a blend of, of three different bourbons, three different barrels, three different. Mm-hmm. And uh, the very old, they claim, has at least, if I read this right, at least one 20-year-old barrel in it. Woo. So... Now, do they just add one dropper out of the twenty-year-old barrel? Well, yeah, that's that's a good point. I don't know. I, I didn't think I didn't think about it too hard, but that's a good point. Uh, but you know, it's not too sweet. Uh, it's got a little heat on the back end, which uh, I'm, I've learned now that is within the bourbon circles. It's called the Kentucky Hug. <laughs> the Kentucky Hug. I like that. <laughs> it's very oaky. Uh, there's like a. a a little baked fruit pastry, like a cobbler or something in the middle before the mm-hmm. heat sets in. Uh, it's a good one, Dave. I, I like this one a lot. So I ha- I'll have to make a note on it. Jefferson's reserve, very old, very small batch. What's, what's the color like? Because obviously a lot of times it's pretty the, dark. The, the darker the bourbon means it's been aged longer because bourbon picks up all of its color from the barrels it's aged in. When it goes in, it's clear spirit, basically moonshine. You can usually tell what's a, a longer aged bourbon just by the color. So you say this one's fairly dark? It's fairly dark. It's it's a good one. I, I like this one a lot. It's good. Recommended. Jefferson, Jefferson's Reserve, very old, very small batch. Now you got to look, you got to take time to look at the label because it's there's a Jefferson's Reserve. The normal one is still very small batch. So you got to look for the very old, very small batch. Gotcha. The, bo- the bottles are almost identical. Gotcha. And the bonus is the cork and the wooden yep. knob on top is the most ergonomical small part holder for modeling. Ever. There you go. There you go. Bonus. Free model That's stain. right. That's right. Repurposing. <laughs> See? You can repurpose almost anything. 
All right. Sound like we did all right. Uh, you got any shout outs? I do. I'd like to shout out as, as usual, our most recent additions to the ranks of the contributing to Plastic Model Mojo. Uh, we got Tim Cavalier, Tony Drake, Joel Sherwood, Adam Coleman, and Christopher Church. Much appreciated, guys. Uh, we got some changes coming. Uh, we're probably going to switch to a new remote recording service. It's going to cost us a little bit more, but it's going to get a lot more content for you guys. So we appreciate every single penny that folks are willing to donate to Plastic Model Mojo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me second that. You guys have been very generous and you all you all have done wonderful things for us in that regard. My, as far as my shout out, I'd like to shout out our friend Jim Bates. I know we mentioned him earlier, uh, but Jim recently, Jim has a very good blog that unfortunately he does not devote enough time to no matter how much I nag him. Uh, Jim is not only a uh, good modeler, but he's also a good aviation historian. And he does a lot of really good research. And the blog is one of the places he posts it, although not as much as I wish he, he would. Well, he's just revamped his blog website uh, to give it a new look, to give it a little bit more of a of a coherent appearance. And so in addition to watching his YouTubes on a scale Canadian TV, go by his blog, a scale Canadian and take a look at it. I think you'll really, really find it to be great. Well, back to the contributors. If you'd like to contribute to plastic model mojo, you can do so at uh, www.patreon.com slash plastic model mojo. There you can make a recurring contribution based on any amount you want from a dollar up. Uh, if you want to do a one-time or manage your own recurring payment, you can do so at www.plasticmojo.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a heart icon. which will take you directly to a PayPal link that lets you take care of that all by yourself. And again, folks, we really appreciate it. And looking forward to bringing you more content this year. And looking forward to meeting all of you or as many of you as can possibly get there at Omaha this year. All right, Dave. Well, we are at the bloody end at this point. Absolutely. As we always say, Dave, so many kits, so little time. See you soon, Mike. All right. <laughs>